I'll count myself down. Why? You don't like how I count? No. Go ahead. Count I'm not serious. I'm not serious. <laughs> okay. I'll count you down. Okay. Five, do four, three, two, one. First, they have to believe that they can do it. And if they're, a, say, a contract manufacturer, a machine shop, something like that, it helps that they believe. It's more important that their customer believe. So they right. need Absolutely. to help, in some cases, the customer understand the true economics, what we call the total cost of ownership. If the sound of a machine tool removing metal gets your blood pumping, then you are Metal Working Nation. This is Making Chips, where we talk all things metalworking, engineering and design, production and tooling combined with business best practices, technology, marketing, news, and new media for manufacturing professionals. Here are your hosts, business owners, metalworking experts, and guys who get dirty on the factory floor, Jim Carr and Jason Zanger. Now, let's make some chips. Hey, welcome everybody. Uh, Jim here. We're coming to you today from our beautiful, rain-free Chicago studio. It's been nuts here in Chicago, by the way, with the rain, but we're glad that you tuned in this time. We're going to have an excellent show today. We want to remind you all that this is the podcast for manufacturing leaders. We're really glad to have you here with us today. Yeah, thank you. It's great to be back. Yeah, Jason's here. Jason's back from vacation. I am back. Well, yeah, back from vacation and, and a business trip. Yes. Yeah. So so what's new? What's going on at Zanger's Industrial Supply, my friend? Well, I'm a little tired. I actually just got back from uh, Korea just recently. Wow. Yeah, I was invited by a cutting tool company called YG1 to come and, and visit there, take a tour of several of their facilities and go through a couple seminars and just get an understanding of what's going to be new with the company in the future. And so what is, I've never what, been. what is YG1, Jason? I, I may not, I don't know what that is. Okay. So, they're actually the largest manufacturer in the world of uh, tap drills and end mills. Cool. So um, it, it was interesting to to um, visit their facility in Korea. They actually um, have a manufacturing plant in North Carolina as well. So they do U.S. manufacturing also. Obviously, there's some kind of cultural difference between the U.S. and Korea. How big of a a disparity is it? Was it more than you expected or less? You know, the people there are so nice. Right, and it, right. It's amazing how nice they are. And, you know, I didn't, of course, there's cultural differences, but, you know, the, the big thing was is that the people were so nice and they were just really welcoming. So that, that was, it was great. Good. Well, I'm glad to have you back and it's good to see you yeah, again. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Gl- glad to be back here in the studio. I'm, right, I'm in the right what, time zone now. <laughs> yes. Recording what we're passionate about and that's yeah. um, making ships and the, the metalworking industry. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I saw how they, made the tools to make the chips in Korea. So that was great. So what's going on with you? What's new with Jim? I I tell you, you know, we we entered into this new um, marketing plan that we're doing for Car Machine and Tool. We're right now, we're in the throes of the website. We're trying to get a launch date in the next couple of weeks. I'm I'm thrilled with all of uh, what they're doing. The website's going to look super sexy. I I really hope it it helps us uh, garner some new work and some new prospects in the future. But I can't believe all of the the steps involved, the back-end work you have to do, the information you have to provide. But I can't wait to show it to you, Jason. Yeah, great. I know you and like a few other people really want to bring that sexy word to manufacturing, it's don't you? It's what it's all about nowadays. Yeah. I, right? I'm still not on board yet with that. You're not, you're not on board bringing I'm not, not sexy yet, not back yet, to yeah. manufacturing. Yeah. Well, I'm not there yet. Yeah. Maybe you'll convince me. But. Okay. 
Well, there's, but there's, I'm excited to see your website. I think that yeah. um, it'll be a, a you know a good template for our listeners to take a look at and see you know you know this is the way that Jim does it and maybe maybe we can you know I, I guess for lack of a better word copy some of the, the yeah. structure that you put into it because I know you're big on structure. Well, I am, and it's a visual experience because you know I'm very visual. So. Yes, yes, you. I know you like the the aesthetics of the product that you make and everything. It's important. So why don't you tell the listeners who we're going to be in a few weeks? In a couple weeks, so on July 21st, from 4 to 6 p.m., we're going to be at the grand opening of the hardware store by Bylink. So if our listeners remember, during a previous episode, we talked about the third place for engineers. And um, this was in reference to a hardware store that had opened in North Carolina, and we're going to be going to the grand opening of the San Diego location. Yeah, so, right. Ray Zagato was our guest. Yeah, Ray Zagato was our guest. was for our episode, and he was sharing with us this new new innovative store, hardware store, that they did some research on. What they did is they looked at where the highest concentration of all engineers was, and they found out that Raleigh, North Carolina, and San Diego, California had the highest concentration for R&D and, and engineers and engineering colleges. There's a lot of startups, medical companies, biotech and pharma out there. And we thought that, uh, or Ray thought actually, that it would be a great idea for us to invite our listeners in to see what it's all about, and maybe we could share in, and for us to meet them. And yeah, and collaborate. I think that would be great. We think it's it is. Yeah, but it's uh, yeah. Just just to get back to the numbers again, Tuesday, July twenty first, from four to six p.m. They're going to be serving fish tacos, local brews. The address is one zero two one one Pacific Mesa Boulevard, and that's in San Diego, California. That's in North San Diego County. Jason and I will be there, and we'd love to meet you. We're going to be there live from 4 to 6 p.m., and we have a special we'd like to tell you. Oh, yeah. So we're, we printed up a bunch of Making Chips t-shirts. So if you come into the hardware store while we're there and you give us our tagline, which is, or kind of our closing, I don't know if it's our tagline, but our, our closing statement. It's our mantra. It's our uh, mantra. It's part of our mantra, yeah. So what is, what is that, Jim? That is, if you're not making chips. You're not making money. You bet. Yeah, so um, you'll you'll get a T-shirt as long as we still have them. And if you want a little bit more background on what the hardware store is or what that third place is for engineers, if you go to makingchips.com slash 18, it'll take you to the site so you can listen to that particular podcast. That's it's one of my that's favorites. Raised. Yeah, it is, the hardware store. And then, of course, we'll have links on our website for our listeners to look up the address again and find out more detailed information about the hardware store and the grand opening. Yeah, that's great. So, Jim, I'm a tooling guy. I'm not necessarily a metals guy. I mean, obviously, I understand how, you know, when you apply a tool, how it relates to the different types of metals. Yeah, but I, I get it. Yeah. You, you were talking about jig plate the other day. Just tell me about jig plate. Educate well, me. Yeah, you know, I get my uh, custom jig plate from ThyssenKrupp, and you know what it is? It's a precision ground plate, top and bottom. So if I'm looking for maybe a three-quarter inch cast aluminum jig plate, there's different manufacturers that make it, but more specifically, it's ground top and bottom to a very close tolerance on thickness and parallelism and flatness. But the best part of, about when I order it from ThyssenKrupp or Online Metals is I can have that plate precision saw cut in the width and length to plus or minus five thousandths of an inch, which is, it saves me a lot of time. I don't have to cut that. If the application is there, the process is there, that I can streamline the process, have that come into my shop completely done, 
It's a win-win for me. Great. And through the end of July 2015, if you use the promo code CHIPS, C-H-I-P-S, at onlinemetals.com, you can get 15% off your order. I'll take it. Yeah, great. So why don't we get into it? Jim, who do we have with us here today? Well, I'm, I'm pleased. I met this gentleman a couple years ago at the IMTS 2012, I believe it was. Harry says he remembers me, but I don't think he does. I think he's just being nice, but that's okay. He impressed me back then. He impresses me still today. And his name is Harry Moser, and he is the president of the Reshoring Initiative. Harry has a strong manufacturing background. He was the president of Aji Charme until he retired back in 1985. But uh, when he retired, he thought he would give back to the community by sharing all his information on reshoring and, and what it's all about. He's got a pretty impressive bio. He participated actively in President Obama's January 2012 insourcing forum at the White House. He won a uh, January 2013 The Economist debate on outsourcing and offshoring, received a Manufacturing Leadership Council's Industry Advocacy Award in 2014. He's just an all-around metalworking kind of guy, manufacturing kind of guy. He knows his stuff well, and we are thrilled to have him with us today. Yeah, great. Welcome, Harry. Welcome, Harry. Great to be here. Thanks. So just a couple um, brief things. First of all, the company that you're president of, I think I'd like you to pronounce it, please. Yes. That I was president yes. of? Yes. Aji Charmy. Okay. And what exactly um, did they do? What they still do. What they still do, sorry. Is uh, produce and sell EDM, that's okay. electrical discharge machining, machine tools, and also three and five axis milling machines. Great. So you, you're definitely involved in the making chips metalworking industry. Correct. Yeah, definitely. For Great. sure. Okay. Well, why doesn't Harry tell us a little bit about what he's been doing since he's retired? And that, I think that'll be a good segue into the questions we're going to ask him. So tell us, after you retired, what sparked starting the Reshore Initiative? There's the emotional side and the practical side. Okay. The practical side, you pretty much went over that I was uh, retiring, and therefore I had the time to do something. The emotional side, I had grown up in Elizabeth, New Jersey right across the river from New York. And the biggest thing in town was Singer Sewing Machine. It was their main plant. In its day, it was the largest building in the world, thousands of workers. My grandfather was a foreman. Dad ran about a third of the factory. I worked there summers. I drove past 10 years ago, and it's all gone. Nothing is made there anymore. As far as I can tell, all the product are made offshore. And I, I cried then for what we had lost. We'd lost the, you know, for the, the family tradition, the city, the state, the country's employment. And during my career, I, I had been selling machine tools and foundry equipment all over the country. And industry after industry, factory after factory were gone. And right. the people had lost their jobs. And I yeah. said, somebody's got to do something about it. And I've, I now have the time. I'm going to do it. That's Great. fantastic. Great. Yeah. So you, you really had a why behind everything that you did when you started this. I mean, you really had something that compelled you to, to take action. Correct. Yeah. That story. I love it. Okay, well, I guess on the on the practical side then, our listener base, they want to take advantage of the insuring of products coming back to the United States. So 
during the recession, before the recession, a lot of products were taken to China. It was, you know, kind of, I think that GE model of you need to manufacture on a boat. And that turned into, you know, obviously manufactured in China. But now as China's costs have risen, a lot of that and, and other factors, a lot of that has come back to the United States. So how does a manufacturer take advantage of that reshoring initiative? I say first, they have to believe that they can do it. And if they're a, say, a contract manufacturer, a machine shop, something like that, it helps that they believe it's more important that their customer believe. So they right. need to Absolutely. help, in some cases, the customer understand the true economics, what we call the total cost of ownership. TCO. TCO, correct. So they need to help the customer. Another acronym. Yeah. Write that one down in your I book, will. Jim. <laughs> go ahead. So need to help the customer go beyond purchase price variance or landed costs. So buying just on the basis of price or on the basis of the landed cost, price duty freight packaging, and look at something more like total cost, which would add in two landed cost, carrying cost of inventory, travel costs, intellectual property risk, the impact on innovation when manufacturing and engineering are together. We have about 30 different costs that are calculated on our free online total cost of ownership estimator. If the contract manufacturer understands that concept, in his own sourcing decisions, it might make a difference. It might influence the mold shop where they buy their mold or the dye shop where he buys his, uh, the stamping shop where he buys his dyes. But also when he's talking to the customer and his customer says, you'd have to match the Chinese price, they can right. say, do I have to match the Chinese price or the Chinese total cost of ownership? customer says, what do you mean? Then they go to our website, they go to our archive webinars, they pull up the TCO site, and they educate the customer so as to change that dynamic of the discussion. From what I understand, what you envision is manufacturers across the United States basically repeating that conversation that you have had with companies that make OEM products and repeating that and repeating that and repeating that until that becomes kind of the, um, I guess, the DNA of comparing the U.S. manufacturing to the overseas manufacturing. You want to make sure that that total cost of ownership gets um, talked about a lot. That that becomes the standard metric right. on which right. the decision is made. But in addition to helping them do that, we're softening up the customer. So I give about 100 presentations a year around the country. Did one at noon today down near O'Hare. Uh, so we were continuously making the presentation, television, radio, a lot of articles, rewrite, lot, interviews, two or three a week. And so the, the customer is starting to hear about it. Right. Yeah. From well, our work, from Boston Consulting Group's work, we're softening them up. We're, we're opening the door. We're, we're getting the customer into the mood. So when the shop comes in and says, reshoring, total cost of ownership, let's reevaluate, the customer is more likely to listen. We all know in metalworking, and I, I know in my industry, I hear it all the time, there's definitely a paradigm shift happening, without a doubt. We're shifting. Everything is coming back. In the simplest of terms, why do you think? I mean, I think I, I know the reasons why, but why do you think that all of a sudden there's this big shift and the work is coming back? Is it? Are question? you asking like what the factors? I'm saying what, you, what, the, what, the, what factors are the, are the simplest of terms, what are maybe three or four bullets why he thinks that it's turning around? I mean, is, is the Chinese cost of living going up? 
or is the the United States manufacturers getting smarter? Are we improving our processes better? Is it technology? What is it? At a detailed level, you can go on our website and we list the top 20 factors. So anyone that wants to know the details can go to uh, reshorenow.org and they can find all the data we've accumulated and see what the causes are. Uh, to to uh, work on what you said, it's a combination of Chinese wages having increased about 15% per year expressed in U.S. dollars for the last 15 years. Really? So that the indexed unit labor cost, so the labor cost per unit of output, has risen about 300% in that time period. Material cost is the same as our material cost, but the labor cost has risen dramatically to the point where the total has gotten high enough in China and their productivity is still only about a third of ours. So when you adjust their wage rate for the productivity, the gap, you know, the, the advantage that they still have is now small enough that if the customer will look at all those other costs, in a significant percentage, we'd say about 25% of the cases, it now is more profitable to produce here in the U.S. than to produce in China and ship the work here. And that stat again was 15% per year for how many years? About 15 years. Wow. Yeah, and I've seen that graph, and it's staggering how the U.S. manufacturing wages have stayed stagnant. I think it was like 1% to 2% of a change versus that 15% for for the Chinese wages. Well, the U.S. has had about 2% average compensation increases, but we've had 2% productivity increases, so the the unit labor cost has stayed the same. Whereas in China, they've had the 15% wage increases and maybe 7% productivity increases because they're starting from a lower level and investing more. That means there's, say, 8% that is not covered by the productivity, and you compound that 8% for the 15 years, and you get the 300% increase. Are wages becoming less and less of a factor, though, in, in the manufacturing process? Now, I understand that the productivity in the United States is much higher than it is in China. So I'm sure that that is also a a factor as well. So everywhere productivity is rising. China productivity is going up, ours is going up. So for many products, it has gotten to the point or it will soon get to the point with the new robots that are available so that you can cut the direct labor content sufficiently so that you can help justify that shift back to the U.S. Right. Because I, I know that when I was in uh, Korea, the um, founder of YG1 was making the argument that uh, the wages are becoming less and less of a factor. And mm-hmm. that's why they are actually manufacturing within the countries that they're selling to. So if they're going to sell to the United States, they want to manufacture in the United States. Yeah. That, the general philosophy that most big companies now follow is called localization. Make it in the market where it's going to be sold, or at least make it in the continent or region within which it will be sold. Do you think it's definitely more regional-based nowadays? It's definitely domestic. We, we, we agree to that. Many companies will make things in the U.S. for uh, North America, and they'll make it in Brazil for South America, and China for Asia. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Now, in, in each case, they're making it in the biggest country, and therefore half or two-thirds or three-quarters goes into the local country, and the rest goes into the adjoining countries. Interesting. Okay. So you mentioned that that was the first factor. Do you have a second factor? The second factor, that companies have learned from the 
mistakes that they made and other companies made. They've seen the cases of intellectual property loss. They've learned how their inventory goes up by a factor of two or three when you offshore. They've experienced the West Coast stock dispute that held up deliveries for months and enforced uh, air freight instead of ocean freight. Yeah. And so a series of these things have become part of the general wisdom, and many of them were ignored 15 years ago when they first made the decisions. So now that they can see those things, and if they're willing to quantify them with something like our TCO estimator, then they can see that that gap is close to the point where the total now is favorable for the U.S. in many cases, not all cases, but many cases. Great. Yeah. I mean, I even have a friend that makes in the United States makes metal dowel pins. And, you know, you couldn't have a less sophisticated product than just a, you know, piece of rod that's ground at both ends. And, you know, they're definitely seeing that, you know, a lot of that business is coming back to the United States. Um, and it was all, I mean, I should say all, but a, a large majority of it was, was shipped overseas almost in a matter of a short period of time. Yeah. And Harry, you know, I, obviously we know shipping, it takes time to get it that product over. But how relevant is the shipping cost and the price of the part? I mean, it, it's got to be huge. You know, it depends. If you're shipping if you're shipping iPhones, right. then shipping costs, and if you come by ocean, which you don't probably, then it's very small because the product is so valuable and so small. Right? Whereas if you're shipping refrigerators, now you don't have that much labor in the product, and you've got a, a big, heavy thing that costs a lot to get here. Yeah, so it's, it's it's very probably factors of ten or a hundred difference between some products and other products. Do you have a third major factor? It seemed like Certainly. the second one encompassed a lot of other yeah, factors. That really oil prices in general. I mean, oil is down now, but in general, it's higher than it was fifteen years ago or so, and therefore the cost of freight to get the product here has gone up. Great. Okay. Mm -hmm. So when you mentioned that there was, you know, 30 different factors, I'm, you know, kind of scratching my head and I was like, I, I can't imagine that there are, but now that you're, you know, talking about these different factors, I'm like, wow, yeah, there really is 30 different factors that contribute to bringing these jobs back to the United States. So how would a manufacturing company, if they're having this conversation about total cost of ownership, how do they identify you know, you're not going to outline 30 different factors right away. So how do you identify the most important ones to the person that you're talking to? Are we talking about the case of the company making the decision for themselves or, yeah, or so helping their customer make the decision? Helping their customer make the decision. So I'm, I'm, talking to, um, I'm talking to someone and I'm opening up a conversation about why they should be buying this machine product from myself instead of having it made overseas. Mm -hmm. for, first, I'd, I'd start with perhaps a range of products that I know they're buying overseas and that I can make for them and say, tell me about any of these where you're having issues of quality, delivery, intellectual property, too much inventory, et cetera, et cetera. Et cetera. Tell me where your pain is. And then why do you put up with that pain? Because the price is 20% lower. How about if we could show you that your total cost would actually be lower if you came here yeah, and just, it would eliminate the People pain. don't realize that. It's it's an unrealized cost. They they All they're looking for is that price. They don't understand the value. Uh, we all get it. I get it. You get it. We all get it. But how do we get it through the important, the decision makers in our community? How do we educate them to know that the total cost of ownership? Well, we're doing it daily. And others, Boston Consulting Group has written a lot about it. Other 
consulting companies have written a lot. So there's a general sensitivity being improved. But if the, the seller comes to the buyer and says, let's do the analysis, sometimes the buyer's going to say no. Right. But if, He's going to say, what's your price? Yeah, what's your price? But, but if, if he hears it from three or four sellers a week, yeah. eventually the one that buys him the football tickets is going to say it. And he, <laughs> what the heck? You're the fourth guy this week. Let's do the analysis. Kind of like. and, and, and so, so the, the, it's sort of like the law of big numbers. If enough of us bring it up to enough buyers, eventually we'll work our way through their resistance. So that's yeah, what you're saying to us, to me, to the people that are out there talking to the buyers. We need to communicate to them on their level that it really is, at the end of the day, going to be ultimately going to probably cost them more to bring it in. Well, it's going to cost them a higher price. Not on paper. A higher price on paper that you're going to pay 10 in U.S. for something you were paying 8 for in China. Right. But when you add in the duty, the freight, the packaging, the carrying cost of inventory, the orders that you don't lose because you can't deliver because of the Delivery. long lead times, yep. you know, the, the impact on your, your sales because you have a made-in-USA product, etc. Yep. When you put all those things together, the 10 in the U.S. is going to be more profitable for you than the 8 from China. I love it. You're mm-hmm. speaking my language, my friend. <laughs> yeah, it, it, I'm, trying to t- I'm trying to tell my customers that, and it's, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to communicate. Yeah, I mean, they know that there's other cost factors there, but if, if you've reduced prices by 30% and you go to your boss and you say, I've reduced prices by 30%, that's very impactful. And it's going to take the accounting guy you know, having a conversation and saying, you don't see these five other invoices that I'm getting because of it, or, you don't, or they need to have a conversation with the sales guy who says, I can't sell anything if we're not getting this product in from China and we have these long lead times. So you have to make sure that all of the departments are working together and that they're hearing these issues. So, so another way to do it, say you're, you're, you're dealing with the buyer and you're getting nowhere, right? Then it's to find other champions in the company. For example, Lean, most of the listeners know what Lean is. Sure do. Okay. Deming said, end the practice of buying on the basis of price. Instead, minimize total cost. Okay. On our website, you'll find a, a table that takes the seven Toyota production system wastes and shows how each waste is made worse by offshoring. So, so appeal to the lean champion within the company and get him or her to help you. Appeal to the regulatory or quality people who know they're suffering because of offshoring. Appeal to the uh, service department that's having warranty issues because of the quality problems. Those are the people we need to be our ambassadors. Is yeah. that what you're saying? If you can't get through the front door, then go around the back door. Get them to be your allies to convince the senior management. Who are those three people again? I'd say the quality regulatory, inventory control people who know how much excess they have, the sales department that knows about the orders they've lost because of delivery. Actually, the line manager, the division manager, who's has too much inventory, too much travel cost, too much warranty cost, and is therefore suffering at the bottom line while the supply chain manager is getting a bonus for having offshored stuff to right. China. Great. So we never try to be be a political show, but I, we did mention that you had a conversation for about ninety seconds with President Obama. So was what it was ninety seconds? You said it was ninety seconds, right? I was with him for 
two or three hours. Right, but you but had 90 seconds. Each of the participants were allocated 90 seconds to talk. So what was that 90-second pitch? Same thing we've talked about here, that that when companies do the analysis correctly, a significant, maybe 25% portion of what they've offshored will come back. So President Obama helped me get the message out to the companies so that they do the reanalysis. Good. Okay. And has the White House done anything to to help as of this point? He, he's, uh, he's talked up uh, reshoring. He calls it insourcing, but he's, he's talked it up. He's worked at skilled workforce, which I think is an absolutely essential issue. Uh, so there's oh, been yeah, a, a lot of effort That's, on community colleges. We've talked a lot about that. Uh, apprentice programs, certificates. They've yeah. actually put hundreds of millions of dollars into it. Like Harper College right near us has, has had money come in to do that. So so in that area, he's done well. He hasn't done things for corporate taxes and he hasn't done anything about China currency manipulation, a lot of areas that he ignores. But he's he's talked about manufacturing more than any other president has in a long time. So uh, for that, I'm grateful. Great. Well, I think that wraps it up. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, what a great discussion, Harry. Thank you for taking the time and, and yeah, thank and you for coming on the show. Your knowledge. If people want to see those thirty initiatives, go to your website. It's reshorenow.org. Correct. They can find the TCO system. They can find thirty slides of individual company cases. So they can find companies like theirs that have reshored. Uh, they can find our schedule of when we're speaking. They can find articles, like all the data in terms of what companies, what industries, what reasons, what countries, et cetera. And if our listeners want to get a hold of you personally, they can uh, uh, link in with you on LinkedIn? Info info at reshorenow.org. Okay, very good. Well, we would love to hear from our listeners. And if you've been successful bringing a job back to the United States that was offshore, we would love to hear about it. Oh, I'd love to hear that. Yeah, story. just go to our I website and yeah, make a comment um, on, on the episode page, and we would love to hear from you about it and, and share those success stories among our community. Yeah, and again, I want to just say that I always say at the end of the show, you know, Jason and I aren't saying that we're experts in any one field. We're here to just share our manufacturing experiences with our listeners. It's great when we're blessed to have Harry with us today and share all his knowledge with what he does well. And that's it. Don't forget to uh, comment on this particular episode on makingchips.com, all our social sites. And Jason, do you have our phone number handy? If they want I to believe offhand that it's 312. Don't guess. Seven two, no, I, I'm, I'm, I'm 99.9% <laughs> sure, certain. 312-725-0245. Absolutely great. Fantastic. Come and see us at the hardware store on July oh, yeah. 21st. We, we would love to meet our listeners. Yep. Sounds great. Great. With that, bam. This podcast exists to improve the manufacturing industry. We want to hear from you, the owners, managers, leaders, and engineers from the metalworking nation. What ideas do you want to share and what keeps you up at night? We want you to take something away from this podcast that you can use to improve your company, your team, and yourself. So let us know what you want to hear and we'll see you next time on Making Chips. Five, four, three. This is totally normal for us to do start and stop, especially the very beginning. We <laughs> yeah, especially get, the first one. Yeah, we got to get into the groove yes, of yes, it yes, after yes, being yes, away yes. from it for a month. Yeah. Okay. Three, two, one.